This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Do you remember your sex education? Was it helpful to you? Was it filled with scientific information? rather than real, practical advice. I'm Degree Waits, and this is The Real Sex Education. Every other week, I'll be joined by a guest. We'll impart our own sex wisdom, ask our own sex questions, and we'll go over all the things they don't teach you in school. But in order to do this, I need an expert. A sexpert, if you will. But the only sex and relationship therapist I know is my mum. Hello, mum. Hello, Diggs. In this episode, we're joined by Sophie Gallagher to tell us about cyber flashing. The unsolicited sending of sexual images to other people. We talk about the effects it can have on people it's done to. Anger, shame, frustration at yourself for letting it happen. And the unhelpful ways we're told we can prevent it from happening again. Women don't go out at night. Women take your headphones out. Women don't stop we need to stop this conversation. We need to have a real conversation about men. How can you help? Hello and welcome to The Real Sex Education. I'm Diggory Waits and I'm joined as always by accredited sex and relationship therapist Kate Campbell. Hello mum. Hello Diggs. In this podcast we try to educate you on all aspects of sex and relationships and today we're talking about one of the uglier aspects, the rapid emergence of cyber flashing. We're very lucky today though, as you'll soon realise, in that there's no one better to talk to about cyber flashing than award-winning journalist, editor, lecturer, campaigner and as of today, author, as her new book How Can Men Help releases today, Sophie Gallagher. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That was a bit Desert Island Discsy. I quite like to get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How am I? How similar am I to Kirsty Young? What What else does she do that I can do? She hasn't done it for years, Dick. <laughs> yeah, but she's the goat, though, right? She's the best one. Yes, yeah. She is. Oh, I love her. She's so great. That is maybe the best um, thing anyone could ever say to me. So thank you so much <laughs> for that. Um, so can you tell us, maybe for the people listening at home, a little bit more about yourself? Mm. Yes. So I am a journalist by trade. I am a a freelance features journalist, which means that I get paid to write, which is quite a cool job. I previously worked for The Independent and HuffPost, and now I write for people including the BBC, Financial Times, Stylist Magazine. I also uh, teach students how to write features as well. Um, And I've just written a book. So uh, keeping me busy, keeping me out of trouble most of the time. Um, Yeah. The book, of course. Uh, We're going to talk about a lot of that work today because a fair chunk of it has been you're investigating into and and writing about cyber flashing. So Mm. can you tell us what cyber flashing is and how you came to begin writing about it and eventually campaigning about it? Sure. So cyber flashing is the unsolicited sending of sexual images to other people. So think about the old school, someone flashing in a trench coat, but done digitally. Uh, This is something that I started uh, writing about uh, initially in 2017 because it happened to me. So I was uh, traveling home on the tube from, from work in central London and we had 
pulls into a stop. And I don't know about your phone, but my phone automatically connects to the Wi-Fi. And, and while we were waiting in the station, I was sent 120, which is a phenomenal amount, sexual images of a, a man's uh, genitals. I was really, really taken aback, as you might imagine. And, mm. um, and then this kind of gave way to a bit of embarrassment and anger and all of those different things. Um, because the way that the, the, it was sent via airdrop, which is a Bluetooth function on Apple, although it can happen in lots of different ways, but it meant that even though I hadn't accepted the images being sent, you know, I hadn't accepted, hit accept on my phone, I'd still seen them. I'd, I'd still kind mm. of seen, seen what the person said. And the range of that function means that you can only send it within about 20 feet. And that's sort of how big a tube carriage is really. So I knew the person who'd sent these images was nearby, which obviously, you know, really freaked me out. There was a kid sitting next to me. I was worried the child had seen. There were lots of different things going on here. So I got off the tube at my stop was a bit wary because I didn't know if the person knew who I was specifically or just sent it to a random phone. And so I was quite nervous about walking home. And then I tweeted out about it as, you know, every good journalist does, took to Twitter in a rage. And my editor said, you should write about it. So I did. And when I wrote about it, lots of women started contacting me saying, oh, this happened to me. And I thought it was just a weird freak thing that only happened to me. And then, yeah, it kind of went from there, really. And the more I wrote about it, the more people came out and said, oh, this happened to me too. And, and it became really apparent that it was far more widespread than anyone has thought it perhaps was, which I think is probably true of lots of these kind of, I'm going to say low-level kind of uh, sexual harassment of, of, of women. Um, and, you know, all people, but mainly women. That sort of happens every day that you kind of uh, just are conditioned to suck up and just kind of brush off a bit. And it was only when we started talking about it that we realised how extensive it was. I guess you were blown away by how big this was? I w you know what? I was uh, shocked but not surprised, I think is how I yeah. phrase it, which I think is often the case when people come forward and, and share their experiences of violence or, or harassment. You're shocked and you're saddened, but also because the society we exist in and because of whatever you're kind of also not totally surprised and I think mm. one of the I think it might be slightly different now although I haven't checked the numbers recently um but I think and the numbers probably would presumably will change again if the law changes which it's meant to um but back in 2017 we had this slightly awkward situation where we would go to the the British Transport Police or whoever, who have always been very supportive of this, I have to say. And they would say, we don't really have the data to show that this is a widespread problem. But because they don't have the data and it's not being said it's a problem, people then just think, oh, it's just a weird freak thing that happened to me, so they don't talk about it, they don't report it. And so it's self-fulfilling. You don't have the mm. numbers because people don't know to report it. They don't know that it's a thing rather than just something odd that happened to them. And so... Yeah, in the end, it was over 90 women came, and they were all women, came forward to talk about it in, in so many different places. You had public transport, of course, lecture theatres, had a fresher email about one in a lecture theatre, restaurants, bars, all those kind of public spaces. And that's just airdrop, right? That's not the things that happen on dating apps or whatever in, you know, that happens more in private spaces. Um, mm -hmm. But just with airdrop, it was, yeah, that a real range of, places ages that's the thing you know women of all ages from all up and down the country yeah 
I think people minimise as well, don't they? When you if you if you complain about yeah. something like that happening, they say, "Well, it's only pictures," yeah. and nobody's got any idea about what that's triggering in the mm-hmm. person it's happened to, what they've been through mm-hmm. before, or what it means to them. It's so much more than is appreciated. So much more. Absolutely, absolutely, and you cannot, you know, our, our understanding, everyone's understanding of how the online and offline worlds work in synergy is obviously developing so rapidly as we all kind of you know modernize together but I think particularly five years ago there was still a very like well that's just online it's just just turn your phone off or just ignore it or whatever and I think that completely as you say minimizes and underplays how harms work and how people Mm. can be traumatized by these things you know one person might sort of think oh it's nothing and rush it off and for someone else that Mm. might that might be a completely different experience one example of a woman I say woman she was in her late teens who was at one of the major rail hubs in London and this happened to her but she could see the man who was doing it he was staring at her he followed her around the station for a really long time and thankfully she was meeting her father and so I mean you know male protector great just what we want is the solution but fortunately for her he came and the man moved away but you know, she said that actually for her, that was more terrifying than if he just walked over, let's say in a trench coat, you know, go really old school in a trench coat and done that. Because mm. in that instance, other people around would have seen CCTV could have recorded all of those things. But mm. the way it did happen, she was the only one who who knew. And she said, actually, that was almost more threatening. Because A, I couldn't prove it was him, even though I was, I was pretty certain and no one else around me could see what was going on in the way that if it had been old school flashing, they would have been able to see and it would have been very different. Mm. Yeah, and so airdropping is the one that, when I first thought about cyber flashing, I thought, you know, pandemic, everyone's on Zoom. Is it that sort of thing? Is Does that count in it as well? Or yeah, Snapchat, it, things like that? Yeah, all of those things count. And actually, you know, Ashling Murphy, the lady who was killed in Ireland a couple of months ago when she went out on a run, there was a, a vigil held for her on Zoom after she was killed. And on that, a man came on and exposed himself to the women mainly who were gathered there honoring the life of this woman who'd been killed by male violence as well and so that again is a form of cyber flashing i think it's called it was called zoom bombing or you know we've got all these terms mm, but it yeah. amounts to the same thing right it's it's about exposure with i would argue an intent to distress or alarm or humiliate the person on the receiving end made possible by digital technology so whether that's zoom or it's airdrop or it's whatever is those kind of old behaviours of flashing, but just with new techniques, with new platforms. And I think anyone who's done dating apps will be aware that I think this happens a lot there. And this, I'm always really at pains to stress to people that this isn't about moralising people who share sexual images or what that, of course, like that's absolutely, that. of course, that's fine. Of course, you know, people can do that. This is about using them as a form of intimidation or harassment in a way that is non-consensual, unsolicited on whatever platform that is. But for me, it started with airdrop. And yeah, that was kind of my entry point into it. Yeah. And as I say, I think the the thing with airdrop as well is is the proximity to it. That's Mm -hmm. just so, that's the scary part Mm -hmm. of it. Um, I saw on one of the uh, articles you wrote that a YouGov study found that 40% of women aged 18 to 40 had received unsolicited Mm -hmm. pictures. To be honest... Uh, what is kind of comes back to something that you said before where 
you said you obviously it's shocking but not surprising mm. and i actually think there's going to be a lot of women listening to this now particularly some of the younger ones like you say with the with the digital age as it is who will probably think that's me they'll be thinking back to their time mm-hmm. what sort of effect does that that have what you know how how do people feel after something like this has happened to them obviously you know from first hand experience but also what about these other people that you spoke to yeah so one thing to say about that as well that you got study like that at the time was a really shocking number, really high. And I actually think increasingly mm. it's probably much higher than that. If you Almost that certainly, now. yeah. Almost certainly. After the everyone's invited stuff, the website where people were submitting anonymous testimonies a year or two ago, after that was started, there was a quick fire report off the back of it that found that in schools now, sharing of uh, these kind of sexual images or news and that stuff kind of stuff is so commonplace that the girls that they spoke to didn't even see any point moaning about it because they just or complaining about it because they just it was mm. so normalized so yes that's one thing but to go back to what you saying about the harms so varied right so varied in the same way that responses to any kind of sexual violence can be very varied you know mm. the trauma or how people deal with it or how people feel about it it's not like a one-size-fits-all thing but generally the emotions were mostly sort of anger shame frustration at yourself for letting it happen in some cases kind of avoidant behaviors trying not to go to the same place again not use the same train again those kind of things for some people it was just well it was quite annoying and strange but it didn't really bother me it didn't change anything I just sort of compartmentalized it and didn't think about it again until I saw you writing about it and then for other people it was they previously experienced sexual violence for example and then it set off a chain of events of actually kind of you know really thinking about that again and we don't always know how people are, are going to react to it. And there can be such, yeah, varied responses. But mostly I would say anger, sadness, those sorts of things. Yeah. I think one thing is that it positions you differently. As soon as it's happened, you're the kind of person it happens to. Mm. And you can't undo mm. that. Mm. And, the, you know, how that affects people is obviously variable. But it might affect them in the future when something else happens. Mm-hmm. And then there's two things. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're twice the person that that kind of thing happens to. And because women are socialised to take responsibility, as you say, they think, what have I done? Why, yeah. is, why me? And yeah. it is awful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What I think a lot of people say, and I'd be interested to hear what you say about this, because I'll be honest, I roll my eyes a little bit at this, but I want to hear your answer, is when people talk about the specificity of the airdrop thing, mm-hmm. when people say, well, why don't you just turn your airdrop off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... What, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, you know, why are you wearing such a short skirt? Or why did you get drunk? Or why did you even leave the house? You know, I think, mm. you know what? With remarks like that, a lot of them, I think, are in bad faith. A lot of them, I think, mm. are a derailment of a conversation that needs to happen. The ones that are in good faith, and by that I mean perhaps total ignorance, to to people who feel compelled to say, and you know what, sometimes it is well-meaning people, your parents or your friends, like, oh, why did did you do that? Why were you silly and sort of, you know, allowed yourself to be exposed to harm? And it's sort of a reflex of a protective thing sometimes. And I get that. And people say it almost as a reflex sometimes. Hmm. But it all just goes back to this, the way society treats all gendered harassment and violence which is that it's women's and non-binary people it's their issue to solve it is not on the perpetrators to address their behavior or to change their behavior it's always just about oh you silly woman why did you allow that to happen you know there are these people out there who are just intent on harming you in whatever way and you let them in you gave them an in sort Mm -hmm. of thing so 
I get it. Of course, if my airdrop had been turned off, it wouldn't have happened. I get that. But also, wouldn't it be nice if actually the conversation could be, why don't we address why people feel entitled to do that and try and stop that rather than limiting all the ways that women might move in the world to try and reduce any possible moment that they might be harmed? And it's, to me, that response is on the same spectrum as why are we wearing such a short skirt? Why did you walk through the park? Why did you... Because they all just basically imply you should know better. You know that people are looking to exploit you and, and you kind of let them in sort of thing. The victim shaming mm. is just horrific. Yeah, it um, really is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, really. And also it's like, well, okay, well, then my airdrop's turned off, but, you know, I'm still going to use Zoom for work. And we saw, you mm. know, with the example I gave that it'd be there or I might still use dating apps. You know, if it's limitation. It's victim shaming, quite rightly, as Kate says, and more explicitly often women shaming as well. I mm. think, you know, there is that real gendered aspect to it. You know, and it is, I know I, I'm using very gendered men and women here, but that's because the data shows that largely that is the dynamic, right? Mm. And so, mm. you know, instead of just accepting, well, that was always going to happen. You should have known better. Can we not have a more grown-up conversation about how perhaps we could invite change and and cultural change there Mm, absolutely Mm. i mean we've touched on it a bit but there's an interesting past with the law on this Mm -hmm. um, because obviously it was illegal in scotland for a while like you know, for for how long was that? So, well, no, it still is. So, uh, of course, well, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it was two thousand. Mm, I'm pretty sure it was two thousand and nine. It's it's been a while in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was partly because Police Scotland have often actually just been really more progressive on this stuff, and that's sort of partly to do with how the police is structured in Scotland and historic stuff and all this sort of thing. But I think I'm f- fair to say it wasn't a law that preempted this. It was more just a law that was smart in the way it was phrased and so then ended up basically being able to catch it. Right. But it doesn't always necessarily mean that people are coming forward and reporting it because that takes mm. education and awareness and it also takes cultural things about accepting that this is worth reporting because that's still something we minimise. And then obviously the law here in 2018... The Women's Inequalities Committee, the government's own committee, concluded that actually the law was inadequate and it wasn't, you know, really going to cut the mustard and so that there needed to be something else. And then we've sort of been on this road since then. Initially, the government sort of said, "Mm, no, kicked it into the long grass. Then the Law Commission came in and essentially concluded the same thing, by which point there seemed to be more political appetite for it. And I think particularly post Sarah Everard, which feels like a bit of a watershed in lots of ways, rightly or wrongly. Obviously, what happened was absolute tragedy. But for whatever reason, the public consciousness has really latched onto that one example. And so now we're seeing the government is, is trying to, to bring through the cyber flashing law, which which is good. But there are some, you know, some concerns, uh, primarily that it the way it's phrased means that it's prerequisited on the person sending the images intending to do harm, basically, rather than it being illegal on the basis that the person receiving it didn't consent to it, which sounds kind of a bit jargony and like it doesn't matter. But in terms of actually making it like not a toothless law, it's really important because to Mm. prove what someone was thinking is quite hard, whereas it'd be much easier to prove that person didn't consent to it. So it should be, you know... That's insane. So, because uh, you think about those two things are, are the same there. If, if an ex-partner of mine was like, oh, I've shared videos with you on the internet without your consent, yeah. but I didn't mean to upset you. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And this is exactly the same. It's like, oh, well, I, but, you know, I, yes, I sent them something that's really upset them and distressed them. Mm-hmm. But like, 
aren't they happy to see it? That's crazy that that's the wording. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's just the way it's framed, and also I think it speaks to how we view it as a crime. So, is it more important? that a victim survivor didn't want it and so the harms that that causes rather than well the person didn't mean to do any harm so Mm. come on just brush it off it's fine they didn't mean to hurt you and we actually have seen this with the revenge porn law which is crassly named where there's a loophole where it also requires someone to intend harm essentially and there have been I've interviewed women who've said essentially my ex-boyfriend admitted sharing videos of me on Pornhub or whatever, but he said that he really didn't mean to hurt me. And so the police can't do anything about it. And so, I'd, you know, it'd be, it'd be a shame to repeat those mistakes again. And you end up creating sort of a, a body of legislation that is just not protecting all the people it needs to be protecting necessarily. Mm. And also if it doesn't go hand in hand, as I've said, with education and funding, teaching people in schools about why we need culture change and why we shouldn't be doing this in the first place then, you know, it's just more sort of red tape, isn't it? So we'll see. (laughs) Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Cyber flashing and the unsolicited sending of sexual images online is so prevalent right now that even you know when it happens to my friends that they it's happened so often that they just they feel like they just should brush it off because it's so common it's so normal like it starts with things like men commenting random guys commenting like fire emojis on your pictures on instagram but it might escalate to weird dms then things like dick pics stuff like that and actually one of the people that you spoke to caitlin said you know it feels like your only option is to block delete and move on and i think that's definitely the case with the with my friends and stuff and that's a weird place that we're in where you feel like it just happens and we just got to get on with it Mm -hmm. and that goes back to what we were saying earlier on about when people say why did you have your airdrop turned on or why did you wear a short skirt Mm -hmm. or why did you get drunk it's all the same thing because actually we've accepted that societally it's easier to just say to women block delete move on shrug it off move on because that's the status quo, that's how it's always been. So it's easier to just say, just keep doing that than to sit up and all look at ourselves and say, how have we got ourselves in this situation? There needs to be real change, real cultural change because that requires some hard work. There's a great educator, a guy called Jackson Katz in the US who talks a lot about male entitlement and has worked like, with the military and people like that. He'd do an exercise where he'd get a flipboard, draw a line down the middle, and say to all the women in the auditorium, in the lecture theatre, tell me all the things you do every single day to keep yourself safe. And the women obviously listed off, you know, I wouldn't walk home through a park, I would walk with my keys in my hand, I'd walk down the middle of the road, if it's late, you know, like not near the hedges or whatever. I delete Instagram comments because they're kind of gross. And I do this, I do that, I do that. And it's just like reading a shopping list, really. Like it might, you know, mm. it's, it's annoying, but you can internalize it to a degree where you think it's just, well, that's normal. And then also to the men, okay, and what do you do every day to keep yourself safe from women? And it's just like crickets, nothing. Yeah. Mm. 
And I think that sounds like, well, yeah, obvious. You know, anyone who's had to do that or, you know, everyone kind of knows that's the case, but it's only when you think about it historically, you're like, at what point do we accept that we shouldn't have to tolerate this, that this shouldn't just be the status quo, this uneven flip chart of all the things women do and all the and, and the nothing that, that men do. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that we want men to go out and start putting their keys between their fingers to hide from women. But to think about why that's so tolerable for more than 50% of the, you know, because you're more women in the UK yeah. at the moment than there are men. Like, why is that just the way we are? Mm. This next question is, is, a, is one of the harder ones to ask. What is driving people to do this? Why do people do it? Um, so, I've, so I have interviewed men who have admitted to doing this. And the reasons they gave were, were, were varied, right? They were varied. Some of it, it was explicit sexual gratification. Some of it, it was frustration with women, with society as a whole. Some sort of played the slightly ignorant card, i.e. if a woman sent me a picture of her boobs, I'd love that. So I presume the exchange is the same in the other direction, you know. And you sort of want to, with those ones, you do want to slightly engage in good faith because I think, okay, well, maybe if you genuinely do believe that, this is a chance for a moment for education and you won't do it again. But Mm. overall, I think there was some research as well that looked at how men presumed women received them, as in what they thought that women felt when they received unsolicited sexual images. And it sort of really undercut the narrative that, you know, men don't know. Men think that women are going to like it because they would like it if women sent them to them. And actually it showed, you know, it was a really high awareness among men that women found them distressing. And I think the other term was gross. They said, do you think that women will find it gross? And, and lots of them agreed yes. So, you know, I think we do a real disservice to both men and women when we say, oh, well, you know, men don't really know how it's going to make women feel. I think mostly people do, right? Um, mm. Anyway, so there's mm. a variety of reasons that that, that group of men gave when I interviewed them which was a few years ago now but I think more broadly I I said this a little earlier and I do still think that it stems from the wants needs fears of women are seen as insignificant when compared to the wants desires of, of men and that obviously goes back to patriarchy and all those sorts of things but I do think whether you argue I don't care that a woman's going to be uncomfortable. I want to do this anyway for my satisfaction. Or you argue, oh, I didn't even know this would bother women because I'm so ignorant about women's experiences that I just didn't know. Both of those sort of speak to the same inequality that women experience and the harms that come as a result of that, right? Like seeing... I mean, for me, it, sorry, more sirens, it ties into everything, you know, even the economy. If we're content with women doing unpaid labor, the gender pay gap, all of those things, if we're content with women being secondary in that sense, well, then it's just, it kind of follows that, well, men can just behave like this because they're entitled to do so because women are, are lesser than in all senses. And so, well, why can't I behave like this? I want to do this. So it doesn't really matter whether it, upsets them or whatever because my needs and wants are more important because that's what society tells me so that's a bit meta but for me we can't meaningfully start to address this in a real way rather than just like a slap on the wrist but people still do it anyway until we start to have these conversations about gender and power dynamics 
right from the start, you know, in schools with young children about why is it not the same in terms of power and inequality if a man sends a picture of his genitals versus a woman sending a nude? Why do men want that and women don't? And it's not because men are the sex gender and women are all prudes. It's not that. It's because there is a whole load of baggage and power dynamics that come with that. That's why it's different. And I think having an understanding of that and a more like nuanced adult conversation isn't about saying all men are perverts and, you know, all women are just victims. That's not what this is. But we live in a society with inequality. And so when you have these things, to me, they're symptoms of that society, right? Like they're symptoms, they're symptoms of that. Why is it that, you know, it's not coincidence that women are largely the victim survivors here and men are largely the perpetrators. That isn't some weird, freaky coincidence. It's a product of the society that we're in. And it doesn't excuse men, but it does kind of get to the heart of what we maybe need to be talking about a bit as well. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think a lot of this then, like you said, mentioned before, is it comes on, on men and men are the ones that have to act as well. This isn't, like you say, it can't just be a, a women's thing mm-hmm. because then nothing's going to change. So then the next question is, how can men help? <laughs> Which, of course, is the book that you have coming out today. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah, that was a very uh, smooth segue there. Thank you for that. Kirsty Young coming out again. A true podcast professional. Yeah, so it sort of, the book came about after what happened with Sarah Everard and so many of the conversations that happened in the days, weeks after that we had women being told to flag down buses, to run into a house, to resist arrest. And then with Sabina, when that happened as well, just months later, again, just going for a drink in the evening with a friend, the conversation again was there were leaflets handed out in the borough where she was killed saying, you know, look assertive women when you leave the house. I mean, what? Look assertive. As if, you know, Mm. you just can't even begin to comprehend why that was written. Mm. Anyway, so it came about as a result of the default position is still to say women don't go out at night. Women take your headphones out. Women don't. Stop. We need to stop this conversation. We need to have a real conversation about men. How can you help? And there's not saying to come in and be a saviour to women, to be some white knight on it. That's not what's needed. But we need to change the conversation to include men and imbue men with a sense of responsibility that this is your issue as well. And it's for men, but also for those who love men and care about men. So kind of for everyone about how we begin to look at the situation we're in. We look at the stats, we look at history, we look at the economy to kind of frame this inequality. And then also start that conversation about this is about men okay how do you actually go about starting to make real change in your life um both for yourself for your friends um you know and that's not saying all men are guilty and all men you know it's just as men you need to take responsibility for this in the same way that women have been asked to take responsibility for suffering under it and solving it for you know forever and Mm. hopefully we can start to have that conversation and hopefully in 10 20 30 years time that won't be where we are because it's a pretty sorry state of affairs that, that we still we still are there. Absolutely. And what's the book called? How Men Can Help. How Men Can Help. It's out <laughs> right now. You can buy it. Brilliant. The link is in our show notes, as is Sophie's socials, so go and check those out. But until then, Sophie, 
thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm aware that I've rambled and rambled, so I, I really hope that um, that was useful in some way. But thank you so much for your time and thank you everyone for listening. You've been listening to The Real Sex Education, which is hosted by Diggory Waite and Kate Campbell. The show is produced by Diggory Waite and the executive producer is Claire Broughton. The Real Sex Education is a hat-trick podcast. This podcast is based on the real-life relationship between Diggory Waite and his mother, accredited sex therapist Kate Campbell. The show is therefore inspired by, but otherwise unrelated to, the TV show Sex Education. But yes, Diggory does wish his mother was played by Gillian Anderson. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,